Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, my name is Christopher Price, the Boston Globe. Welcome back to another edition of the Patriots Report right here on the Believe Network. Today's guest is Field Yates of ESPN. Field covered the Patriots for ESPN for a number of years before moving into more of a national role. So he knows the Patriots much better than most. He knows how they operate. I want to ask him who he thinks is going to be calling the plays on offense this year, his take on the Cole Strange pick, and what else they have to do between now and the start of the season. But first, want to let you guys know today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball fights, and NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including live betting and the fan favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and use our promo code BLEAV, that's B L E A V, to get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now let's get to our conversation with Field Yates. Field, free agency, the draft, both in the books as we tape this, we're smack in the middle of workouts, which means we've reached the halfway point of the offseason. What's the focus right now if you're the Patriots? What sort of priorities are there around Foxborough now that we've reached this point on the calendar? Yeah, it's funny, Pricey, and thanks for having me on. I think that what happens during this time of the year is a lot of us on our side in the media want to speed ahead to week one. So while that may be the case that people want to jump ahead to week one and and, and decide who should be favored in which game and decide which quarterbacks under the most pressure or decide uh, which team perhaps is the favorite to win its division, you know, I think the... NFL focus within teams is about so much more rudimentary things. So if you're the Patriots right now, uh, there are a couple of things that I think stand out in terms of what are keys over the next, let's call it month or so before they break for their, whatever you want to call it, summer siesta, they get five or six weeks where the players are away, the coaches are away, the scouts are away, and then they get back to the grind come the start of training camp in late July. So some of the focuses I think are always going to be there every single year, which is player development. You've got guys coming into their second season led by Mac Jones, uh, who plays the most important position in sports and had such a promising rookie year. You want to make that year one to year two leap that I think, while others have discussed it as well, Bill Belichick, I think, really was the one that talked about it the most earliest. And we've seen it with several Patriots players throughout the years who have made a notable year one to year two jump. And we've seen it around the NFL as well. You know, the Patriots think about a guy like James White as an example is one that I always come back to who made that big first to second year leap, but that's not just Mac Jones. It's all the rookies from last year. It's also year two to year three. Someone like Josh Uche is an example, a guy who didn't play a ton last year was basically relegated to a situational pass rusher role how do you take him to the next level? He was a promising player as a rookie, promising player as a draft pick. So how do you get some of those players to advance? That's, that's always going to be a fundamental step during this time of the year is player development. Then it's also, and, and so that, that's sort of part of it. Part of it is also like, just, I know that it's boring. And, and again, I used the word rudimentary earlier. Again, rudimentary is like, we got to teach some of these guys the playbooks. And, you know, every single year, Evan McCourty, who's been around for, what, 10 or 11, 12 years, is going to go through, like, what we call day one install. How do we break the huddle? What's cover two? How do we call this? How do we call that? How do we get lined up? Uh, so that part is going to be part of it. But if you sort of sort of zoom out for a second where the Patriots are, they've got some things that are different this year. Obviously, the one that's been discussed the most 
is the coaching staff and how they're going to divvy up responsibilities. Um, I, I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but I do know that Bill Belichick is not the kind of person that goes into any season without a plan. So I'm sure he has a plan. It's a matter of when he allows us on the outside to know what that plan is. And maybe the answer is week one, maybe week one, we see, you know, Mac Jones communicating directly with Joe judge or Bill Belichick or Matt Patricia or Nick Cayley. And that's the play caller is maybe they make some sort of announcement before that time. But I think the Patriots and their coaching staff situation is going to be sorted out. And then I think you have to just sort of decide there's a balance between, all right, what players do you view on your roster as potentially filling the needs that you may still have, or may believe you could still have versus who might be available to round out the roster as we get closer to training camp. So if you're the Patriots right now and you're saying like, all right, we think linebacker could be a need. We're not, we're not totally sure, but it could be a need. You're sizing up, how does Raekwon McMillan look coming off of an ACL tear? How does Cameron McGrone come, come looking off, come off, come looking after a year away? Basically, he basically redshirted last year until practice late in the season after an ACL tear late in his college football career as well. And if you get to training camp and you feel like that spot's maybe a body or two short, then you have to decide, all right, we're going back to the well. Is it a Jamie Collins? Is it a Dante Hightower? Is it somebody that was not here this past year? So I think that, uh, well, we are excited and we're all ready to get into that week one excitement. I think that the Patriots and every other team, like it's a lot sort of more dirty work, just sort of boring, just sort of run of the mill opportunities for the next month or so. I'm glad you bring up the play calling question, because I, as you know, as I'm sure you know, that is a huge question mm. up here, at least at this point in the offseason. I want to ask you, is there anything in Bill's coaching past that could help us inform his decision on this matter as it relates to the current situation? Uh, what I think could help uh, inform his decision is the fact that the Patriots have had lots of people that have called plays and lots of people that have called plays with absolutely zero experience prior to that. And they've had a tremendous track record of developing play callers uh, at the NFL level. Bill O'Brien never called plays before he was a play caller at the NFL level. Josh McDaniels never called plays before he was an NFL play caller. So um, I know that right now it seems to be the thing that, and I, I've, I've, I've sensed the tenor change in recent years with Patriots um, coverage and also Patriots fans to a degree. It feels like the benefit of the doubt has, has changed in terms of just how much uh, Belichick gets these days and how much the organization gets. And we'll see whether or not the play caller situation becomes a significant issue for the franchise this upcoming season. One thing I do believe, and I sort of alluded to this earlier, is that like, I don't think it's, I don't think Bill Belichick is just sort of waffling and not putting a significant amount of energy uh, and resources into this decision. I think the reality is there's no obligation for a team to announce its play caller. And while many other teams, maybe every other team would have said something by now, Bill Belichick has always going to, he has always, and will continue to march to the beat of his own drum. And I think that he feels comfortable in the setup. He's got a lot of trust and a lot of people on that staff and ultimately he feels as though whether it's him, whether it's Joe Judge, whether it's Matt Patricia, Nikhili, whoever it might be, is going to do a more than satisfactory job. One of the things that Connor Orr brought up when we spoke a couple of weeks ago is that this could end up in a roundabout way, if it does all come together nicely, working in favor of the Patriots. Other teams start to pick up on quote-unquote play-calling tendencies. They don't really know if this is a Joe Judge influence, if this is a Matt Patricia influence, if this is a Bill Belichick idea, and it kind of allows them to keep the opponents guessing a little bit. Hmm. I think that's fair, and good point by Connor. And the other thing is that 
it strikes me that when you've got great players, we talk about how play calling just sort of falls into place. When you have a great play caller, we sort of talk about the emphasis of that much, much more. And I, 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 again, I'm not, it's possible this does this, this not work out, right? There are examples of, of individuals taking on play calling responsibility for the first time and it just not working out. But I've also seen people, and I, I sort of circle back to a few years ago when the Green Bay Packers made the first head coaching hire, of, I believe a seven coach hire player, uh, excuse me, a seven coach hire uh, season where uh, there was six other jobs that were vacant. The Packers went first. They hired Matt LaFleur, a guy who had Derek Henry um, and fairly talented Titans offense and was something like 31st in points per game. Everybody, this guy is a moron, A, over the Packers thinking, and B, there's no way they can let him call plays, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say that three years later, after winning more games in his first three seasons than any other coach in NFL history, at least being right near the top of the list, I think it was he and George Seifert, like the, the feeling about Matt, Matt LaFleur has changed a little bit. And maybe there was something that they did, they knew, the Packers knew or saw that we did not necessarily see from the outside, and they're validated in that decision. So um, we'll see. Uh, again, it's possible that a year from now the Patriots are readdressing their offensive staffing, but it's also possible that this offense actually is as good, if not, and maybe even quite a bit better than last year. And maybe that will be more due to the fact that Mac Jones should make a leap and that some of these players that they didn't get as much out of last year that they want to get out of more, they will, whether it's a John Smith or Nelson Aguilar, maybe the offensive line, even though reshaped is still right where it was last year. Maybe guys uh, like Devontae Parker and Tyquan Thornton, who are new to the program at the skill position spots, helps bring a jolt the Patriots did not have last year, a wide receiver. What's the most important thing that Mac Jones has to do this offseason that'll help him go from a good rookie quarterback to a successful, consistent starter in the National Football League? This is, I, I actually remember having this conversation late in the season last year, and uh, it, it does tie dovetail to play callers. But, and, you know, I, everything should not be compared to Tom, but everything is going to be compared to Tom because he was the quarterback of the Patriots for 20 years. But at some point, the offense transitioned where Tom was never the play caller, obviously. But, there is a point on the field where it's like Tom is deferring early in the career. Hey, I'm deferring to Charlie Weiss and Josh McDaniels, whoever it was. And then at some point it became almost like we're just working in tandem. And like, I, I, you aren't calling the plays, but I am in such control of the offense that I've got the ability and the authority that if I need to override some stuff, because I'm seeing something that maybe you're not grasping from the sideline in the moment that I have the comfort level and the trust from you to do that on my own. And I'm not saying that Mac Jones did not have some of that last year, but I felt like at times, and there were times where I thought, and I, I think this sort of reared itself late in the season, things got a little bit conservative. Mm-hmm. And I think Mac is certainly a very gifted thrower. I mean, the guy could sling it. That part is clear. Even if he doesn't have a rocket Josh Allen type arm strength, like very, very good distributor of the football, like he could throw for 35 touchdowns this season. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, and I felt like, I feel like there. Are, that's how Mac Jones maybe takes the next level beyond the getting stronger and doing the things that he's talked about with his body and all that is how does he go from a player who is like running the offense that he is told to running the offense and maybe this is a little bit too obscure, but commanding the offense as well to having complete ownership of the offense on the field. As you know, there was a lot of debate as to how New England approached the draft, particularly when it came to the first round. Give me your take on the choice of Cole Strange at 29. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I do quite a bit of draft coverage at ESPN and there are two sides to that. On the one hand, 
you get a better feel of a lot of the players coming into the draft process uh, than I did in, in a different time of my ESPN career when I was not pouring as many of my own resources into the draft coverage. So you feel like you know these players a little bit better. On the other hand, it also serves as a reminder that a lot of what we discuss um, is far from like a universal truth and far from like the end-all be-all of how a player is going to be. I think Cole Strange probably went somewhere around like 10 or 12 picks higher, maybe 15 picks higher than many people in the NFL expected him to go. And I know that I know the Sean McVay quote is going to forever live in infamy unless Cole Strange becomes a 10-time pro bowler because people are saying, wow, this guy should have been a back end of the third round pick. No, Sean McVay knows that Cole Strange is not going to be there anywhere close at 104, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But what I will say is that the Patriots have examples of it. We've all used the Logan Mankins example, uh, but there are others as well of a guy going higher than quote-unquote the experts thought and turning out more than okay, right? Logan Mankins... Dion Branch are two examples that I always think of of guys that were not supposed to go anywhere near where they did. And Dion Branch is what a Super Bowl MVP, and Logan Mankins one of the best players they had during their great great run uh, for all those seasons. So the player is an incredible athlete. He's going to fill a need right away. He's got some nasty to him, and he is just. And I said this sort of with admiration. He's a complete jerk on the field, uh, but not chippy, right? It's not like dirty. It's not. He's doing not doing that to overcompensate. For other things, he's doing it because he's letting you know, like, it's going to be 60 minutes of terror when we play against each other. So um, I think there's a chance that we're talking about Cole Strange is like a valuable sort of, you know, this, I don't know if wins above replacements quite been established in the NFL yet, but a guy that has a, you know, really solid wins above replacements at that guard spot. And for the Patriots this offseason, losing Teddy Karras, you know, among some other offensive line shuffling, like that's an important part for them. As a Dante Hightower apologist, this is a question I've been asking everyone who's joined me here for the last few months. Are we going to see him on this roster come week one? I don't know. Uh, my, my answer right now will be no, uh, because he's not signed. Uh, obviously, I think you and I love Don- – everybody's loved what Dante's brought to the table, right? He's been an amazing contributor since the 2012 NFL draft. Uh, toughness, playmaking, opportunistic playmaking, pass rushing, uh, tempo-setting hits, all of that stuff. My guess would be no for this reason is that while the Patriots did bring back Joan Bentley, who puts into the same bucket, even though he's much, you know, quite a bit younger than, than uh, Hightower, Bentley only 25, is that Dante Hightower, right now, the NFL seems to be gravitating towards linebackers that have, that are, that are speedy, maybe a little bit less size, right? And Hightower is a guy that at his very apex was what, 250 or so, maybe more than that, 260 pounds and never going to be, he's never going to run like the wind. He was going to knock the snot out of you all the time. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Patriots go a different direction, not because they don't love a lot of what he brings to the table, but because the game has sort of shifted in a different way that like the, how many teams are going to be trotting out two linebackers next to each other that are 260, 255 pounds. Uh, in a league where you've got quarterbacks that can run, you got running backs that can obviously run, tight ends that can run, receivers obviously can run as well. It just changed a little bit. Which one of the new phases do you think has the best chance at succeeding in Foxborough when it comes to long term? And obviously, we sit here right now in mid-May. We, you know, we're not sure, but when you take a look at what they've been able to do over the course of their careers, Devonte Parker, Jabril yeah. Peppers, Raquan McMillan, 
Which one of those guys do you think, as we sit here right now, has the best shot to make a real impact in his first year in Foxborough? Well, I'll grab a low-hanging fruit and say Devontae Parker for a few reasons. First of all, he's got the biggest track record, longest track record out of all those players that you just brought up. Second of all, he's the only one uh, that is not coming off of a significant injury. Raquel McMillan and Jabril Peppers both tore their ACLs. Uh, obviously, McMillan was during training camp last year. Uh, Parker, excuse me, um, Peppers was during the season. So you got the health concern for each of the other two players and the fact that Parker's been doing it for a while now. And I would think Parker's going to play a lot for this team. Mm-hmm. I know the Patriots, I know everybody talks about their wide receiver group. They don't have, yeah, they don't have Devontae Adams. But right now on paper, you'd think they have four guys that are locks to be involved every single week if they're healthy. That's Devontae Parker, Jacob Myers, Nelson Aguilar, and Kendrick Bourne. And then potentially another one in Tyquan Thornton, who they use a second-round pick on, right? He's the fastest guy they've had around probably since Bethel Johnson. The Patriots are going to be a strength in numbers team on offense. And I think if you're the optimistic type that wants to know how the Patriots can sort of like be successful with this current iteration of the offense, first of all, like you've got a stud quarterback in Mac Jones. Second of all, in a league where the price tag of wide receivers going up and up and up and up and up, the Patriots may have like, they don't have a $25 million per year receiver, $28 million per year receiver, which those do exist now, but like Kendrick Bourne, exceptional value at 5 million bucks. Devontae Parker, a little bit more than that, maybe like 6 million bucks, like exceptional value. Again, he's neither one of them to start. I get that. Another one of them is going to be an all pro, but if you're getting maybe 50, 60, 70% of the production at 20% of the price, that right there is like reasonable roster construction. And we've seen some of the teams that traded away those star receivers, the Chiefs and also the Packers. Like that seems to be part of their calculus as well as the Kansas City did not replace Tyreek Hill with a $25 million per year receiver. Marquez Valdez-Scantling's $10 million per year. They got Sky Moore in the second round. Justin Ross is undrafted free agent. You just miss Schuster, $3 million base value. Like, there, it seems to me that the the mindset might like there that there might be some value here and sort of zigging when the league is kind of zagging. As we sit here right now, give me one reason for optimism and one reason for pessimism when it comes to the 2022 Patriots. Uh, so I'll start with the pessimism. The pessimism, and this applies to basically the entire league, is that go through the AFC right now. And if you to tell me how many teams do you believe, if you gave them truth serum. Not even if you gave him truth serum, but if you ask the GM or the head coach right now, how many of them do you think don't believe they're going to the playoffs this year? My answer in the AFC is one. And I say this with reverence, like, I, and I've talked about the Texans a ton, is I, I appreciate a lot of what Nick Casario is doing. I think what he's doing, I think they're going about it the right way. They made significant additions this offseason that are going to really, really help both in the draft, uh, some retention players like Brandon Cooks, some players in free agency, they're going to actually help them. They're just well, they're just further behind. I mean, they had draft picks for the first time in forever. They obviously had a significant situation they had to navigate with Deshaun Watson, who obviously his legal situation continues to to roll along here. Uh, we'll see. The NFL did suggest that we could be a, uh, coming close to a resolution in terms of potential punishment, but still, that's a lot. Like other than that, go through the list. Jacksonville is not good. They think they're going to be good this year, right? They paid record-setting money in free agency. You know, the, the the third pick in the draft, Houston Texans, again, move to the fourth pick in the draft, the Jets. The Jets have talked about narrowing the gap and being much improved. That's the reason for pessimism. But again, that all teams in the NFL right now, right? I mean, somebody is going to finish fourth in the AFC West. 
the, it could be the Broncos. Like the Broncos right now, everything is hunky dory. Every every video is Russell Wilson with a pep talk and you know let's ride or whatever his new his new speeches and all that. Like they could finish fourth and wouldn't stun me this year. I'm not not betting it per se, but they could finish fourth. Raiders, Chiefs, Chargers. Somebody has to finish last in their division. Reason for pessimism. The a reason for optimism for the Patriots is that. While they have areas that are question marks, cornerback is probably one that comes to mind. Linebacker is one that comes to mind. This team is really solid in almost every single spot. Really solid. Uh, Extremely well coached. That much is always going to be the case, even if the coordinator spot on offense remains to be determined. And, you know, there was a stretch in the middle of last year. I'll have to go back and look at the specific weeks. But last year where Mac Jones was playing football that, I mean, beyond exceptional. I mean, it was just tremendous, right? We had days where you know, he looked not like a guy in his first season, but instead a guy in his fifth season. And that right there is reason for optimism. I know that he's not the fleet of foot athlete that some of the other quarterbacks are. That's okay. Mac Jones has a chance to be a super duper star in this league. I've said it several times over that I think there is a chance to that he is the breakout player in the NFL this season, or at least amongst them. Field, last question for me. Give me your favorite Mike Reese story. Well, Mike is the probably the perfect person, the nicest individual that you will ever meet uh, in your entire life. And uh, Mike actually came by from uh, you and I are having this conversation on a Wednesday. Mike was actually at my house yesterday. Uh, he's down in, uh, in Connecticut, which is where I live now uh, for an ESPN NFL nation summit. So had a chance to spend some time with Mike. And uh, I would say that in a time in which um, people are, and this may not be the funniest story, but just what I think about Mike Reese, what I think about is the number of times where he'll come back to me and just sort of remind me He's not just a great friend, one of my best friends, but also a, one of my greatest mentors is that there's nothing better than this football stuff, right? It'd be OTAs and they'd be hot. People be complaining about having to be out there or that the Patriots limit their access or that the players are not wearing names on their uh, back of their uniforms. And you can't tell which, you know, young cornerback that is. And Michael would just say, how great is this? We get to watch football for a living and talk about it. And uh, I wish we had more. I mean, I wish we had a million Mike Reese's in the world. The reality is that part of what makes him so special is that he is one of a kind. But uh, I, I tell this to young reporters all the time. If you want to have a chance to sort of master your craft or uh, become an individual that I think people uh, will, will, will follow and, and enjoy uh, reading and writing, reading and, and following on Twitter or watching on TV or listening to on a podcast, Follow the Mike Reese script because uh, there's so much that he does right that I wish others would try to do at the same time. I've never seen him have a bad day when I've been Doesn't with him Fox yeah. Never. That's right. Yeah, never. totally. Field, this has been fantastic, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, you've given us a lot to think about, a lot to chew over here in, in the, the, the kind of the dog days as we approach the dog days of the NFL offseason. So hopefully we can hook it up again sometime, maybe between now and week one. Pricey, you're a good man. I appreciate you having me on and can't wait for football. We're about a little over 100 days away and we can't wait for the NFL season. I love it. Sounds good. Take care, my friend. We'll talk soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E. 
AV on YouTube.